Welcome to Ivy Wise Podcast, Just Admit It, where ex-deans and directors of missions give insight into what students need to know about the college admissions process. I'm Christine, a former assistant director of missions at Yale and Georgetown. And today I'm joined by Nad, a former senior assistant director of missions at NYU and NYU Abu Dhabi, and Eric, a former admissions officer at Columbia University. So today we're answering the top question that's doing the rounds, Just Admit It, what is going on with this year's college admissions process. So welcome, Nat, and welcome, Eric, my esteemed colleagues. I hope you guys are doing well. Hi, Christine. Glad to be here. <laughs> Hi there. Yeah, I'm there. excited yeah. To, to chat about everything that's going on. Great. I think we're going to have a great conversation. Obviously, I think everybody, uh, or at least everyone who's a senior in high school and um, parents of seniors uh, are thinking about this big question with the COVID pandemic um, lasting much longer than I think all of us had originally anticipated. How is this going to impact? Uh, I think the big question that we could first address is the future of higher education. I don't know if we have enough time today to talk through all our thoughts. Um, and also more specifically, how is it going to impact um, the class of 2000, high school class of 2021, as they're getting ready to dive into the application um, season this fall. So why don't we um, start with Nat? I know that you you are very experienced both on the admission side and counseling side. Um, what are your thoughts? Big picture first, the future of higher ed. Yeah, well, it's we're at an interesting crossroads, aren't we? Um, I think what we've seen in looking at the class of 2020 in terms of the high school class with all of the students starting at colleges, um, we've really seen colleges as businesses, Right. So, um, and that's something that we've always, you know, at least I have always tried to illuminate for my students, because if you, if you see them as businesses, then you can understand some of the decisions that they've made. And so I, I think I'm more specifically referring to the decision to have so many kids back on campus, um, in, you know, in room and board so that they can collect room and board, um, they being colleges, but then the majority of the classes would probably be online. Right. So that's just one, one kind of validation or one, one proof, if you will, that, uh, that colleges are businesses. So you're saying that colleges love money. I would say, um, yeah, colleges have to function as a business um, in order to in order to be you know relevant, right? Uh, it's not it's no longer about just enrolling a class and getting the best students that you can. It's really trying to improve on metrics each and every year, right? And um, oftentimes behind the scenes, we talk about bond ratings. And, you know, one of the things that happened shortly after the pandemic, you know, in, in mid-March, you know, Moody's sent out, you know, and they, they sent out a notice that they downgraded every school, right? All of higher ed has been downgraded because they know um, they are expecting that the schools are not going to get the same number of applications. SAT or ACT averages are going to go down. These are two factors within the bond rating itself. And so, um, yeah, colleges are doing what they can to be, you know, institutions of higher ed, but behind the scenes, they're also doing everything that they have to do, you know, to maintain their status as businesses. 
I think that's a really good point um, because exactly as you just said, Nat, um, most of us, when we think about colleges and universities, we think ivory tower um, research, teaching, right? The intellectual stuff. And that's all true. Their main purpose is to educate um, and, um, you know, build up our next generation. But there is a reality, even as nonprofits, um, that they have to have revenue, you know, um, inflow and outflow, just even um, paying professors, um, paying their staff. That was one thing that really struck me at the beginning of the pandemic was, you know, just university presidents, some, right, deciding to take a pay cut um, in, you know, stands to be uh, with their colleagues. Um, some university had to furlough um, some of their staff, very unfortunately. Um, there is a reality of, you know, when you think about how many students are on campus because um, that's a revenue stream from their tuition, from their room and board. Um, so even though we don't associate colleges and you know, universities with a for-profit, although some are for, not for-profit, um, there is a reality of budgeting just, right? Um, and so how do you maximize that funding so that um, they can produce you know, or offer the best education possible, their product, so to speak, right, to um, to their students. So um, that's definitely, I think, a helpful lens to think about everything from number of applications to enrollment to um, just all the things that they have to, you know, deal with. How many students do we bring on campus? How do we run online learning? Trying to deliver the best education, but the reality of how do you do that on a budget, given, you know, what's coming in and what's flowing out. Um, both directions. Yeah. Eric, what are your thoughts? I think that this is a big moment for change, right? In so many ways, like so many unknowns, but also in terms of admission for students, you know, this doesn't exist in a vacuum. We've seen college admission change in really profound ways before. And I think that we're going to see admission change in really profound ways after this as well. Uh, certainly the college board is being exploited in this and, and scrutinized in a very interesting way. So I'm curious to know what that will end up looking like. I always say there was a time in college admission before the college board, and there will be a time in admission after the college board, but this has been a source of a lot of strain and stress for families. Thoughts on that? Yeah. So Eric, are you referring to kind of testing and, and how important that is right now or how important it might come to light that it isn't? Is that what you're well, referring to? Yeah, I mean, since a lot of colleges, um, the majority are going to test optional admission for the class of 2021, I think that is both a relief and a point of anxiety for families, right? Because they've spent so much time preparing for these exams. And that's supposed to be a great equalizer among colleges uh, for students who look identical based on just rigor of curriculum and their grades. So I'm hoping that actually that might be a trend where we start to see colleges who have moved to a more holistic review view and they may sustain that practice perhaps uh, for future classes in remaining test optional. So while I have had students who have flown to Idaho and Nevada um, and South Korea to take the SAT or ACT, <laughs> I'm hoping that we won't find that students won't have to take such extreme measures to take the exams anymore. I don't know. <laughs> 
I mean, that's a good point because, I mean, kind of related to the pandemic, but apart from that, um, I know, Eric, you're based in California. Um, the University of California system announced kind of in the midst of all of this um, that it's changing uh, or doing away with standardized testing, the College Board and ACT test scores, not really in response because they've been talking about this for a long time, wanting to diversify their um, student body um, even more um, and testing um, not being, a, you know, a great predictor, I guess, of student outcomes necessarily. So um, I think that's one of the big pause moments, right, is just, are we going to see more testing, less testing, or same, you know, it was just the weird year, and then we're going to go back to life as normal, taking your, you know, SAT and ACT, you know, forever. Um one thing I'm struck by, I think, you know, just whether or not this will cr- uh, create a profound change is um, living in D.C. or near D.C., um, we talk a lot about bureaucracy and um, universities are, you know, in some ways bureaucratic. There are many levels and uh, many committees. And um, and then while it's good because they're great, thoughtful conversations and decisions being made through that process, um, but it's also slow to change. You know, imagine wanting to even change the testing policy, right? How many layers of you know, OKs and committees and, you know, from admissions to faculty to staff to, you know, provost to president, who knows, um, will have to get that cleared in order to change. So there is that, you know, that universities are slow to change because of how it's built structurally as institutions. Um, But at the same time, I feel like this is such a big moment, right, for for um, higher ed and for the world, um, maybe change can happen. And we have seen that, right, over the years that all of us have been in missions that the world is similar of higher ed, you know, similar to when we were working on the mission side, but but it's also very different. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm optimistic, like you both are as well. And you know, we all have read thousands of applications, and we all know that we can make good decisions without test scores, right? And I don't want to speak for for all of us, but so I'll speak for myself. I I, I can make a, an informed decision without a test score, but I think. You know, one of the things that is rooted um, in in the business aspect is that College Board not only provides schools with test scores, but more importantly, much more importantly, and no one really talks about this, is that they provide schools, institutions with EPS reports, right? And that's the search that is precisely the number of kids that have taken a PSAT in 10th grade so that an enrollment manager knows where they should be traveling or if they need to travel more because that number of 10th grade PSATs is down compared to last year or compared to five years ago. So EPS reports are, you know, and have been and will remain to be such a powerful tool in establishing the pipeline and and really it gives colleges a chance or an opportunity to to know what to expect for their applicant pool. So I don't think the, you know, the, the, the easiest part of all of this equation, right, is is being able to go test optional. That's that's really easy. But the tough part is is doing away with the the benefits of student search and all of that data that the PSAT gives colleges. Right. So Yeah. 
for sure. Um, I mean, I think um, even if, let's say, the SAT or ACT were to go away, some type of measure, right, or assessing student um, on a very numerical, universal, standardized um, measure will come come back. I feel like we can't. I'm hopeful, you know, it is will be um, the process will be more holistic, but um, some kind of universal standardized measure or even just to inform colleges about um, where high school are high school students are um, would still be helpful. Um, I also think that virtual learning component will be very interesting as, um, you know, all of us are reading um, various, you know, just news uh, reports of students you know, you know, one model kind of going flying to Hawaii, right, and, and going to hotels and learning in pods like that. Um, you know, schools are doing hybrid versions or whatever. Um, will it kind of change our conception of what a college um, education experience um, is like? And you know, and the price tag that goes along with it. You know, are students and families willing to pay X, you know, thousands of dollars um, for a certain type of education and college experience? Um, I think this year will definitely. Definitely uh, be very instructive um, about that. Um, thinking more specifically about the, the students who are going into or in the process of applying, um, what are our thoughts? Um, Eric, um, I know you, again, you work on the counseling and admission side. Um, what are your thoughts on how this is specifically impacting seniors, the class of 2021 high school? Oh my gosh, bless their hearts. So I think that it's going to be um, really important for students to be flexible because, you know, we are on these shifting sands and we, I just think strictly in terms of admission, focusing on elements that are within the student's control is really going to be the best use of time and energy, I think. So you cannot control as always what it is that you think the colleges want to see, but you can control these elements of the process that have always been within the student's jurisdiction, like the essays, um, any activities that have morphed and shifted over the arc of the time um, that we are in in COVID, I mean, could be really interesting. And then also like describing the distance learning environment for students is going to be something really interesting to explore. I don't know, as usual, colleges are not concerned about what you're doing as much as they're concerned about why you're doing it. So finding a way to convey that to schools is really interesting. And colleges have already uh, nimbly, although they are Byzantine and slow moving, um, have been able to introduce new and different ways to engage with uh, the community. So you can now, you know, chat with a current student, um, faculty who, some of whom, uh, Christine, you had mentioned, you know, a person on faculty at Georgetown who is loving her life of distance learning and distance teaching. Um, I've noticed that students are able to engage with faculty members as well. So there's this whole new landscape that I think you can either be paralyzed by and um, be very fearful of, or you can just embrace it as this is the new reality and we're going to see this moving forward and try to engage um, and find your footing in the best way that you can. So that's kind of a non-answer, but that's because there's so much uncertainty and speculation that I can only join in on. And I can't really predict what all of those answers will be. 
Now, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, you know, as it relates to the class of 2021 and, you know, their inability to go and see colleges in person, right? That's that's been such a rite of passage that not only their counselors and their parents and the media and movies, right? Like there's so many Disney movies about like going to to visit that college campus, right? Um, As much as our this particular class of 2021 hasn't been able to do that in the same way that has been done in the past. I've talked a lot about digital footprint with my students and, you know, the, the importance of showing colleges that you as a student are interested in and what that means in the digital age, you know, and that, that is like adding schools to your common app list. That is, um, you know, doing the online tours and the online group information sessions. Once you've added a school to your common app list, you know, schools have the ability if they want to, to use the date that you've added them as a measure of demonstrated interest. Right. And, you know, there's, there's more than a few that will do that. And there's more than a few that will not use that at all. And, um, but schools are, schools are definitely, they're scrambling to find ways to measure this year because, uh, you know, the yield aspect again, you know, predicting who's going to come and who's not going to come becomes even more important, um, during this pandemic and, uh, colleges are, are really looking for a way and, and digital footprint is one of the, one of the primary ways that, that students can really should be thinking about right now. Right. Yeah. I think there's a lot um, for seniors to consider. Um, Certainly, I've been talking with students about just doing the best they can in whatever circumstance they may be in. Um, And certainly, I think the visiting college campuses, that's one of the most kind of um, felt, I guess, um, impact. Um, But I think, you know, I want to say, you know, colleges are trying. And and that's kind of the bottom line that I've been telling students that colleges do want you to come. want you to visit, you know, learn about them as much as possible. And, and even though you can't physically be on campus, there's a lot you can do virtually. Uh, now you mentioned just, you know, um, having students, current students available, college students that they can reach out to and talk with and, uh, more professors may be engaged in the, um, front of the process as well to talk about the academic life, um, on a particular college campus. Um, I, I would say that, you know, even just admissions officers, right. We always, when I was in high school, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, like this ozone important person, the admissions officer, right? Like I can't, um, I can't talk to them except for in an interview and being on the other side. And, you know, we can all having, you know, all of us having worked in admission offices, we actually really like students, right? We want to be helpful. Sure. We do read your application and we make decisions, but we also really just enjoy the student piece of it. Um, and which is why all of us are still, you know, working with students all these years later is we really like it and they want to be helpful. Um, yes, there are a handful of colleges and universities are very selective and they get tens and thousands of applications. Um, but there are just there's so many universities and colleges out there and um, and their mission staff are really eager to connect with students. I think especially this year when um, for them, they're thinking like, well, you will you come when you f- move across the country to come to our school? Um, 
or are you just going to stay more locally? Um, so I think students can definitely um, take, you know, take advantage of that um, with all the virtual things um, where maybe before you can't fly, but now you can just register online and then attend a virtual session. Um, so that's definitely, I think, going to be interesting. Um, I think that, you know, just the speaking of that, like just even the list, um, college list, you know, um, where where do I want to apply to? Right. Like, um, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Just kind of the seniors. Are they going to apply to a whole bunch more this year because of the growing uncertainty? Or do you sense that, you know, students are going to be, you know, even more thoughtful, not that, you know, previous classes were not thoughtful, but like in a situation, maybe financial aid plays a bigger role in their decision making, their family's situation. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on that piece? You know, Christine, I just talked to one of my students yesterday who shifted her ED1 decision, you know, where she wants to apply ED1 based on the fact that she had visited this school multiple times and the, the school that she previously was planning to apply ED early decision round one to, she hasn't had a chance, nor does she expect to have the chance to visit. And so she literally yesterday, you know, made a change to her, you know, her plans, her strategy of applying to the school that she knew that she was able to visit. Right. So that is, that's definitely something that is very, very real that we will, we'll be seeing a lot more of for the class of 2021, you know, as, as far as financial aid is concerned, you know, there's, I do expect colleges to, to use the deferrals and wait lists much, much more. Um, I think last year we saw some really healthy sized wait lists. Um, and, uh, I think that we're going to see that again this year, just because there's so much uncertainty and colleges need to keep a wait list in order to, you know, to go to in, in order to enroll a class. Yeah. I mean, do yeah. you think that there are some opportunities here though, for our students, um, there's a lot of fear-based decision-making that happens all the time and per perhaps more so, you know, to, to a larger extent this year, but any offers of, you know, optimism that we would give to our, our class this year, opportunities that they might have that wouldn't have been available in other years. <laughs> I, th I think that, um, I think overall we're going to see, uh, we're going to see schools taking a larger portion of their class in early decision, right? I'd, I'd venture to guess that if you were to look at, you know, the top 50 schools, not, and of course the top 50 schools don't have ED, but um, most of the schools in the top 50, regardless if you're looking at liberal arts colleges or, or universities, you know, over the last few years, you're looking at 46% of the class roughly being taken during early decision and, and that only accounting for about 9% of the total acceptances, right? So um, I think you're going to see an uptick in that number, like that average number is going to go higher. And what about this maybe being the point where the pendulum might swing in the other direction in terms of number of applications and acceptance rates that I mean, how much further can they go except towards zero? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I mean, um, one thing that, you know, we've all kind of talked about before it is, um, are we reaching just a plateau in the number overall number of applications? I mean, one that's driven by um, the population, right, of kids who are college bound in that particular year. Uh, so it's just demographic trends. But two, um, you know, we've all seen, you know, uh, an, an increase in number of applications being submitted by students. Um, I'm sure, well, we back in the days when we were applying, you know, our counselors said eight schools, no more, right? And now kids are applying to more schools. We see that every year. But is this a year? I, I'm just even thinking like financially, it's very costly. Uh, I mean, I, I love that, you know, um, that uh, colleges take waivers and a lot of students um, can uh, avail themselves of that option, but not everybody. And yet it's still costly just because technically you can pay for these applications. It adds up. So do you, in a year like this, apply to 20, 15, eight, you know, what, what mm-hmm. that's how that's going to drive drive the number, right? Um, even with that, do you want to leave your family and fly thousands of miles away to go to college or do you want to be closer by? Um, is kind of the, those local options much better value at this point um, with the uncertainty of job markets, right? Um, after the pandemic. So uh, I don't know if applications will, because, you know, with the admit rate, it's, I would say the denominators, number of application and numerators, number of mits. So the admit rate goes down when you have a change in denominator, when you have more people applying um, or fewer that you're taking, right? Um, so how are these two numbers going to go up and down? I think we don't quite know that yet, but certainly that's part of it. Um Relatedly, I think, you know, we've been um, just hearing uh, news reports of uh, deferrals and, and enrollment numbers. I just you know, saw an article from Yale Daily News saying that 341, uh, about 21 percent of their first year class deferred and took a gap year. And Yale's committed to not having that uh, impact this class, uh, Yale class of 2025 or our high school class of 2021. Um and so, you know, that's a question that we we all of us have been getting right from parents and students. Um, is it going to impact me when so many current first years and college students are deferring or taking a gap year? Um, does that mean that my numbers are going to be impacted? Um, yeah. But what do you guys think, just even on that point, um, when you get that question from your students and parents, how have you been responding to them about the deferral and, verb, um, and gap year from current college students impacting this year's high school seniors? You know, I, I think that there's going to be, um, if anything, I think that this year will be a little bit easier for students, um, generally speaking, because colleges will have to make up the tuition revenue loss from the previous year, this year that we're, that we're in right now. Um, and so there's a, there's a very big difference between what colleges want to do and what colleges have to do. And again, Back to the business aspect of this, they have to make up for the tuition revenue losses. Most schools in this country are tuition dependent, right? That that their tuition is a big part of their operating budget, right? We, we've, we've talked about kind of maybe streamlining some, some of the services that are normally available, you know, it, 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 during or, or through student affairs. Um, and if, if we're virtual, if, if schools are virtual now, then do, do we need as much of, of a student affairs office? And, 
you know, I think that's one of the most important offices, if not the single hand most important office on campus in terms of supporting students and, um, and giving them one of the really important aspects of college. But that being said, I, I, I think that they're, they're going to admit, you know, this, the same number of kids that they were planning on uh, in order to make up for the tuition revenue losses of this year. Yeah, Christine, it's really soothing to hear uh, what Yale was doing in terms of making sure that it, you know, they were maintaining equity in terms of not impacting the class of 2021. I think everything is sort of like a maybe, right? I know that colleges are going to put a nice face on it and say, hey, we're going to, you know, take buy up hotels in the surrounding area and put students up there <laughs> or put them head to toe in triples and quads. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, and we'll see what it remains to be seen, you know, like I said, how students are going to choose to engage. Um, I've also had some of my students curious about whether or not spring entry is going to be an option because with students going back um, via distance learning, but then perhaps returning in person on campus in the spring is that, you know, is spring or summer now going to become a possible entry point? Yeah, that's a that's a really good um, I mean, point and question as well, right? So are colleges going to be, what do they have to be creative um, if they they want to maintain that equity, that balance of um, not uh, limiting or just cutting back on the number of admits this year? How do you then accommodate um, all the students on campus? I think the bottom line, and I agree with Nat, is, you know, kind of going back to our first point about colleges being um, businesses as well, is that, yeah, they can't have maximum, you know, revenue coming in uh, in however way that comes out. They would want to do that. I mean, even not just from like, oh, I'm, we're trying to make money, but we want to pay our professors and our you know staff. We want to right. make sure that we want to stay in business. Mm-hmm. I mean, nonprofits have to stay in business too. So, um, so I think they would want to do that, but maintain you know just housing quality um, that students are living well. Um, one, true that you know the classes aren't too crowded. You don't have a long wait list to get into that Econ 101 class or CS 101 class. So, do they have to be creative and start you know maybe have spring term and summer term? I don't know. Um, I think we've talked about this before too, is will they keep some version of um, online learning? Perhaps not everyone will want to come back or or if they're given the option to do a semester online, because now that we're kind of used to online learning, um, that might be a way to accommodate more students and you know even out the enrollment numbers over the next couple of years, uh, two, three years, um, you know, maybe online learning will stay as an option. Um, I know there are kind of, you know, um, predictors of higher ed who've talked about that. Are we kind of going to a digital model where um, higher ed will be so changed that um, we're just going to have virtual university? And that's, you know, we do have online universities now, but even more so, right? Right. so that's that's definitely a good question. But I think bottom line revenue is good <laughs> and they're going to try to get as many students as possible back on campus. Um, I think another element um, is the international students, too. Right. Um, I just with all the um, I mean, just the pandemic um, affecting travel and visa um, and whatnot. So our international numbers going to be down a little bit because just hard to get into the U.S. And I don't know. Um, it probably it's not a massive, massive number of students, but can that impact, you know, um, this year's enrollment um, and admissions as well? So that's another thought for sure. 
you know, all super important points. You all are super knowledgeable, um, especially to the depth to which you can think of colleges as a business. But then our students are customers and consumers. Uh, any sort of last, you know, parting words of advice to students and parents to the class of 2021 uh, who are really steeped in this uncertainty? Be curious to hear just what your final takeaways might be for our students and families. It's a tough road ahead, I would say, right? But, um, you know, in, in working at a school um, as an upper school dean, I was completely inspired by the graduating seniors this past year um, in their ways to innovate and be creative of finding ways to connect with one another in the absence of some of their rites of passage like prom and, you know, in-person graduation. Um, so for me, as much as, you know, the, the outlook looks, I've been really inspired by the creativity and um the willingness um, and the longing for human interaction, um, and I think that bodes well for our future. So I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic. I, um, I think, um, we, you know, I was just thinking about our one of the main, um, I guess, our uh, tenets, our philosophy at Ivy Wise is to the fit is so important. We spend so much time helping students to uh, find the right fit. You know, it's not just about going to a ranking or a list, um, but really finding the good fit. And I think more than ever this year, that fit question is is big. Um, I want to encourage students um, to do their research, um, you know, virtually as much as possible to get to know schools. Schools certainly want to get to know them. Uh, so really take the time to find the right fit academically, socially, financially, um, and and be optimistic. I think, you know, I, I think this is not, it. when we're in it, it seems like, oh my gosh, are we ever going to be on the other side? We will get through it. And um, and I know students who've been thoughtful in the process, they always come out really well. They're successful in that sense. They did the, all the, you know, the hard work and they walk into the school um, of their dreams. So um, be sure to follow us and subscribe for notification about our next podcast, which um, I believe episode two is going to post on September 10th. Um, and to visit our website for more resources, I always, I personally always go to our website to look up um, all these helpful, not just the blogs and newsletters, but tips and advice um, every aspect of the college admissions process. Um, and of course, you can also ac uh, access our bonus episode if you join our mailing list. So uh, we are excited about this project and thank you for tuning in. Thank you guys. Thank you.